Welcome back in everyone to a fantastic new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper and a very happy holiday to all of you out there as we approach the holidays. Joining us today, we have a wonderful team and a fabulous show to be sharing with you. Today we have the director Tony Torn and the performers Ben Becker and Josefina Scarlett. They are part of Holbin Productions' presentation of The Whole of Time, which is playing December 28th through January 27th at Torn Page. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting tornpage.org. This is a fabulous new show, and we are so excited to be sharing this with you. It is truly magnificent. I, I, I could go on and on about it, but I'm going to let our guests go on and on about it for us. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guests, Ben, Josefina, and Tony. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thanks, Andrew. Thank Great you so much for having us, Andrew. Happy to be yeah. here. Thank you so much, Andrew. I'm so excited to have all of you here. I'm so excited to be talking about the show the whole of time. And I, I'm really excited because it's a, a show inspired by one of my favorite plays, The Glass Menagerie. As I was doing my notes and my homework, at first I thought, oh, we're talking about The Glass Menagerie. I kind of missed that part where it was like inspired by. And I was like, wait a minute. I want to see what, okay, go on. So I'm actually going to start, Tony, with you first. If you could tell us a little bit about what the, the show, The Whole of Time, is about. The Whole of Time uh, came out of a process where the playwright Romina Paula, who's a, an amazing force in Argentine theater and film, who is just beginning to be known in the States, she was working with her theater company on a production of Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie. And they were already quite deep into rehearsals when they found out they weren't going to be given the rights. So Romina decided, well, I'll just write a new play for the same cast. So it's not strictly a rewrite of The Glass Menagerie, but it's sort of a beautiful dialogue with that great play. There are characters, there's a mother, there's a brother, there's a sister, there's a gentleman caller. And the echoes of The Glass Menagerie and Tennessee Williams that are in this play are really beautiful and fascinating. But I'm also really interested by how this play takes that situation and the power dynamic of that original family in the Tennessee Williams play and presents it in a totally different way. It's really, for me, a fascinating and beautiful play about a lot of the same things that The Glass Menagerie is about. But it's a totally different, different work. That is amazing. You know, it's very funny because um, Josefina is the one who introduced me to Romina when we were going to do a play reading of some of the material. And I think Romina, who usually directs her own plays and does not get very involved in productions of her plays that are done by other people, I think she was fascinated by the fact that I have a personal history with Tennessee Williams through my parents, Rip Torn and Geraldine Page who were both very, very deep collaborators with Tennessee. And I remember seeing my father play Tom in the Glass Menagerie at Circle in the Square back in the 70s, a very, very strong memory for me. So exploring this play, given the fact that Tennessee Williams in the Glass Menagerie is really something I feel in my bones, has been a really exciting journey, I think, for all of us. And it's a really, and and Romina has been really, really sort of fascinated by the, like, how fate has brought brought us all together to do the English language premiere of this play. I love that. 
Josefina, I want to ask you, we've kind of heard how, where this play has come from, but how did you all come upon this work? It's funny. In 2019, I was called to direct the whole of time. Um, they were doing, they were doing, they were reading some extracts, extras of Romina's plays, because there's also a book being translated. I mean, a, her plays being translated. There's a book that already came out with her translations. And they they told me, they asked me to direct a piece of the whole of time. She was going to be flying from, from Argentina and listening to her plays. And I remember getting so excited because I really love her. Her work is amazing. I know her from a long time. But I thought, well, I love this character and I love this play. If I'm going to be able... I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring something different. So I thought instead of directing from a female point of view, another Argentinian woman, I thought, what about asking Tony, an American and a man, directing this play? I thought it would be amazing. And I, but I was worried about Romina's, I mean, point of thought, what she would think about it, because she's very, she doesn't really... She doesn't, Tony uh, described it very well. She doesn't get in, she does, usually doesn't go and see others' productions of, of, of her plays. So I think she, I think it, 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 like Tony said, fate was super, super, super helpful for, that, for us because she fell in love with all the, with all the inter, intertextuality. I don't know if you have that concept, so it's just amazing how the even her plays working on us and the time and the history. It's just it's bigger than us. I love it. So so I end up doing playing Antonia, which and Tony directing, which is very exciting for me. I'd love for Josefina to talk about her character and her character is very, very different than the sister character in The Glass Menagerie, which is one of the most interesting things for me about how different Antonia is from Laura, but yet in some ways the same. Because Antonia is such a strong character. She's so far away from a victim. She's, she has a strong body, she has a strong mind, and she has a strong point of view of the world that challenges everybody that comes in her inner world that is the house i don't know tony if you want me to say anything else about the character or if you want to say anything else because i think it's such a rich character well on this family it's it's all centered around the fact that antonia doesn't want to leave the apartment that they all live in and in the original glass menagerie you get a sense that laura is trapped by the fantasies of her mother and the expectations of needing to like find a suitor for her and all that stuff. In this world, Antonia really calls the shots about her life and what she wants to do. And the, so the power dynamic in the play is very, very different. Now, the focus is really more on her. And our Tom in The Glass Menagerie gets to speak with the voice of Tennessee Williams. He has those extraordinary monologues. Here at Lorenzo, who is a brother figure, his journey is just as beautiful and heartbreaking as Tom's is in the original play. But we don't get those massive speeches. It's more of a sort of observational piece uh, 
realistic theater piece in a way where you see these characters in their in their relations to each other. It's very, very different in tone. And so we do it in this house. You know, we come, we're staging it in the house I grew up in, in a living room theater. So one of the things exciting about this production is when people come into the space to watch the play, it's as if they're entering the actual home where these people live. And that's one of the most important things about the play itself, the sense of what this home is. And so to actually do it in an, in an actual uh, townhouse, I think really, really activates that aspect of the play. That is so cool. That is exciting. Well, Ben, I want to bring you in on this conversation. You are also a performer in the show, and I'd love to know what has it been like for you to develop this work? What it has been for me to develop this work, it's been, I can honestly say it's been a joy. It's been a mystery that keeps on getting un un unraveled. It's been a joy with the cast and with the ensemble. Josefina, Tony, and myself have been collaborating together now for, is it 10 years, guys, or, or a little over? Around, around 10 years, around 10 years, informally, both in theater, film, experimental theater, in poetry, in readings and rehearsals. And so that history of richness, I think, has brought a lot into our rehearsal process. And it's why I another reason why I think Josefina instinctively wanted to bring Tony in on this. And I think the three of us have a really nice have developed a nice dialogue over the years that. I'm sure a lot of people listening to your podcast are familiar with with what that mm -hmm. is. There's something unspoken and there's a, a trust in the rehearsal room that allows us to have fun and make mistakes and fall on our face while 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 doing it and know that we have Tony there to back us up and and to challenge us. And he brings his wealth of experience, you know, 30 plus years, 40 plus years in I don't need to go on about Tony and, and his his experience performing, but he brings that directly into the rehearsal room. And it's like a, a treasure to listen to, to all that. And Josefina and I, of course, we have our own. We share a life together. So we bring that into the rehearsal room as well. And getting to play off of one another, I would be remiss if I didn't remind myself to be grateful for that because it's really something that not everybody gets. And it's so common now because we collaborate together so often that it's really good to remind myself, oh, wait, this is not par for the course for everyone and then bringing in the actors that play the mother and the brother we always say it's just a joy in the rehearsal room and a joy in the dressing room backstage and it's also special for us in terms of developing this piece to develop it out of this space where we've collaborated with for so long and one of the aspects i remembered at the first rehearsal that tony had us do was actually read the glass menagerie andrew so we can kind of we read it twice we read it once and then talked about it and then read it again i believe switching each other's characters maybe for some of it and that was really nice and tony didn't make us obey it by any means but he just said let's just touch base about it and talk about these themes and look about these themes then read the our then read the play we're doing by romina paolo the whole the time and kind of have a conversation with the two plays and see what was similar what wasn't similar but, but between them and that doing that together as a launching pad was really nice and then with the audience coming besides just at least what the feedback that i'm getting from the workshop we had done last year besides just enjoying the play 
an aspect that's really exciting about this and that I find Tony and Josefina, I believe, touched on it a little bit in terms of the dialogue and the dynamic with the brothers and Lorenzo's arc and Antonia's is Argentinian theater. Argentinian theater is something I'm so like grateful and excited to have a to be a little cog in the wheel in bringing it over. Josefina, I know it's a passion of hers to really create these bridges with Argentina, but it's such a, a thriving culture of theater. And what strikes me in, in all the plays I see when I'm down in Buenos Aires and in this play in particular is the strength of the dialogue. And Jean Graham Jones has done a wonderful translation with us that she's collaborating with us to make it comfortable in our, our mouths. But even in this translation of English, I believe that the, for me, like the dialogue comes across really, really strongly. And the Argentine sensibility of theater that is this a comedy is it a drama is it a mystery is this dark and the relationships that get built specifically in argentine theater is something that is exciting for me to share and my personal like relationship with the character i play maxi if for me it's about having fun keeping him really really simple and finding this really fine line with tony and with my cast about like when is he, he too laid back and when is he you know riding that wave to, to really find these nuances of this fun character named maximiliano or or short known as known as maxi and and that's been a, a ton of fun finding that out with everyone he's sort of the uh gentleman caller equivalent in this play his character maxi and anna gabriel plays ursula who's the mother and uh, lucas alvaga plays Lorenzo, who's the Tom, and they're both. Everybody's very, very different from their the roles in the Glass Menagerie. Ursula is a very, very different kind of a mother than uh, Amanda is in Wingfield. This is in the original, but the echoes of the play of the Tracy Williams within this, it's really, really fascinating because they come up in unexpected, wonderful ways. And reading along with this process, Andrew, it's been. You know, Tennessee Williams creates such a rich world as does R Romina, and it's been great to to read other Tennessee Williams plays, including his notes that he wrote to his sister. That we've had that book in the rehearsal room on and off to just touch base to to get an idea. And and you know, Tony along with Josefina and Anna and Lucas has created this beautiful tight knit family that I think the, the audience grows to like love and also kind of look at like, what is this family? Almost like observing a, a zoo or something like what? I, I like them, but there's oddities going on between them. I'm like, is this, this is the typical. And then I get to come in and kind of be like the audience and step into this world that I think is going to be like any normal household. And then slowly but surely with every single line and next interaction that comes, I begin to realize like, what what is going on here and i think it, it kind of parallels with the audience's feeling as well or, or hopefully does and gives them an insight to that because josefina's character with antonio really is a force to be reckoned with and kind of what's the what's the saying jose or tony rules the roost yeah it's kind of thing. yeah yeah <laughs> and we come in and have a little, little kind of boxing match with words which is which is really really fun i love all that that is amazing so tony is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from this work well 
I really feel that this play, even though it's about a very, very specific family, there's a lot of love in this family, but there's also a lot of damage in this family. I feel that this play will present for people something they can see that they can relate to. I think that with like every, yeah, I think what, what was the famous line from Tolstoy? All happy families are the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in their own particular way. <laughs> and I have always thought that theater is not a place to go get like sugar to make us feel better. I feel like the theater is a place where we want to engage with something that speaks to our real lives. And I also think that this play, which was originally written for the pandemic, has got new meaning because the character of Antonia's credo really is, I want to keep the outside world out. I have everything I need in my home. I, I don't want to engage. And even now that we're in the downward slope of the pandemic, I really don't think it's really over. It's not. But we're in this downward slope. But the damage has been done. There are so many of us who have stopped engaging with the outside world. And in the theater, the whole point of theater is to get people together in a room to have a live experience, something that's not about screens. And so I'm not trying to criticize Antonia. I'm just, you know, because um, Antonia has very, very compelling reasons to live the way she does. So I see a dialogue in this play, not only about families, but about our current situation, how we've chosen to create lives where we don't actually need to engage where, you know, we're now in the, we can be at home, we can have these screens, you know, do I need to actually go to a movie theater when I can watch all my content at home? You know, but I grew up in New York going to, you know, revival houses. I used to go to two double features a night. This is before you could just pull up anything on YouTube or the criteria. Yeah. You know, I spent my adolescence and early adulthood obsessively seeing old movies in old movie houses. And I have to now really kind of force myself to get out of the house and have that experience again. And I don't think I'm alone. So mm -hmm. to thrive, we need to address this idea about what kind of experience is unique to being in a live room with live people. So I think that that's a very, very powerful theme of this play and something that can really create dialogue. Love so that. Love that. Yeah. My final question for this first part, I want to start with Josefina on, and I yes. want to know, who do you hope have access to the show? I hope everybody comes to see it, but especially last year in the workshop, I got really excited when like three or four teenagers, girls came to see it, and they were so touched by Antonia, and they were actually talking about this thing that they lost they they don't understand why they wanna they have to engage with the with the real world it was so interesting that and they were crying but they were like kind of so moved by because because they feel they don't want to go out also they don't want to engage with the with the outside with outside and they don't understand why they need to do it it's and they're scared and they, f I, they feel so vulnerable, and I really hope more teenagers, girls come to see it. Hope of everybody. I hope. I hope. But I was like, that. That kept me thinking about those girls that came. No, that was different. 
Um, yeah, I know they, and like you said, their your, your character of Antonia specifically resonated with them a lot. That was, in, in that sense, is different. Yeah. I love that. I was thinking too that there's something that Antonia has that in this, that nowadays we rarely have, is that it's time. She has tons of time. Mm. And that's very, very weird. And in, in our life, what we are always is, we are always running out of time. We don't have time to do things. So she has time. And it's very interesting how the play and Antonia reflects about time, about productivity, how she uses her time, her inner time, the time, the time outside, the, the, the outside world time and how people should be using their time. That's something that always, when I saw the play for the first time, that really struck me, how they reflect about time and productivity and also about silence. It's a play that people talk a lot. There's tons of dialogues, but really they are also talking about silence. When, when you decide not to say something and the beauty of, there's, there's, a, there's a reflection about one of the characters that is Lorenzo, that sometimes by saying things, you do more damage than by not saying them. It, that's, a, that's a quote or, or the, the, the things, something like the, telling to the mom. The, the, no, I that was, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. 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 And another thing I just want to mention, there's lots of cultural references to, especially people like Frida Kahlo, the family's kind of obsessed with Frida Kahlo and her relationship with her father. But also when people who are aware of Latin American culture come to see the play, it really sort of helps us out because there's lots of humor in the play that has to do with this culture. And so sometimes I think people who aren't really aware of that are like wondering what the tone needs to be, whether they're allowed to laugh. For example, like I said, uh, uh, Lucas's character, Lorenzo, unlike Tom of the Glass Menagerie, he doesn't have these big speeches. But in our production, the way we get to see inside of him is he sings along to a song by the Latin American superstar singer Marco Antonio Solis who is like a huge star. He's a Mexican artist. He's hugely famous throughout the Spanish-speaking world. And uh, he's when uh, when Lorenzo is singing that song, it's a beautiful thing because it's beautiful and it's heartrending, but it's also essentially comic. And I think people who understand that this singer, Marco Antonio Solis, he's like, a, he's like the Tom Jones of the Latin world. He's this massive mainstream artist. There was something beautifully comic about it as well as we plunge into this artist's very, very melodramatic power ballads, it's it's really, that's a really a sweet spot when the audience is activated with the fact that this is, this is a very fun piece. It's really kind of a comic take on these characters, yet it's also just as affecting and heartrending as The Glass of Menagerie can be when things come to a head. For me, what I, I think that, Tony was really clever to to craft in the in the staging was they to create a relationship with this song that for for people that speak Spanish you as soon as, as soon as soon as you listen to that song you start laughing because it's like really kitsch kitsch no really kitsch not kitsch kitsch and 
but people but as soon as they're they're listening to the song american the american audience don't know what to do so i think by creating so the song all the frida kahlo paintings and everything that it's taught in romina's play in our in our production it's really present to create that relationship with the audience that well i think in new york people have the relationship with frida kahlo but even to enhance, 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 I don't know, the word, enhance that relationship, yes. <laughs> and it. Andrew, is it okay if I touch on some things that were said? Yes, yes, please. I was going to say, I'd also love to know who you also hope have access to the show as well. They, again, I, I'd love everybody to come to the show. I find it particularly, yeah, I'd, I'd love everyone to come to the show. I always enjoy sharing pieces with, fellow theater artists and other actors, producers, and directors. This particular production, we're actually looking for collaborators and co-producers for future production to take it possibly to a larger space. So I guess in that specific sense, as a production, we are looking for potential co-producers and co-collaborators to do this piece at another space in the city. But I... I, I'm, again, excited, not just for the play, but a, a little bit about what you spoke about, Andrew, with how you and your wife started this podcast a little bit, if, 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 I, if I heard correctly, about who you wanted to give a platform to. And I'm really, in, I, I think with, without being precious or, yeah, I, I hope at all without being precious, I think the theater, the small theater that goes on in the dark alleys and nooks and crannies and corners of the rooms and alleyways and basements and, and dingy cellars of New York City is where a lot of the most exciting theater is happening and is a lot of where us as New York performers can get together with our our crew. And I know you know what I, I mean, Andrew, and play around. And you use the term yourself, get into our sandboxes where we could really be dangerous and make choices and do pieces with the people we love and we trust and share it. And unfortunately, some, well, not unfortunately, but some at atmospheres or some ecosystems don't necessarily create that kind of environment for that kind of theater to thrive. Because as we know, in New York, it's extremely expensive. When you do get it up, it's a quick wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And we're out of here after a showcase production of a weekend or two. And again, something that this is for me more and more, we should be doing theater like this. And, and again, not to make it too Argent Argentine, but in Buenos Aires, that a lot, that really is a lot of the culture in Buenos Aires. You have people going to do their Broadway and then later in the week, they're going to do a play one night a week or two nights a week at a small off or off off Broadway theater. And it is as prestigious, even more prestigious than doing Broadway. And, and I think it's exciting. I think as New Yorkers, it's nice for us to support these small micro productions that are happening in literally somebody's home and getting to bring this kind of piece and this caliber of, of an artist and Romina Paola to here and you know, what we dialogue in addition to what Jose Antonio talked about in terms of, you know, time and 
uh, you know, people can maybe reflect on wh what exactly am I doing with our time? Because inertia just takes us throughout their day. And especially now, come 4.15, 4.30, it's dark out. And we say, where did the day go? And I think this play, for me, makes us a little more conscious about what we are doing with our time. We're having a conversation now. Afterwards, we're going to get cleaned up to go, as you are, Andrew, to go see a show. Then you're going to see a play. Then you'll spend time with your family and talk about it. As opposed to, oh, I just had my day. It was crazy. Antonia makes all of us very conscious about what are we doing with our time? And because of that, it's even more interesting that when she's asked a question that everyone in New York is asked, what do you do? What do you do? <laughs> Antonia rebels. In, in a way. Uh, and, and I think that's also really interesting. And that age old question that comes in New York, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And Tonya flips on its side. Yes. And although she does a lot, she's like. She only know. does non-productive things. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's very interesting. And in, I think in, in that way and, and, and overall, without getting too heady about it, I mean, Romina doesn't get too heady about it. And we've done workshops with Romina. She's been a guest in New York. So we've gotten to know her. Fortunately, we've been able to develop a relationship and she doesn't take herself seriously at all. She takes having fun seriously. But at the end of the day, the evening that everyone will spend with us experiencing the whole of time at Torn Page will be a wonderful 72-minute evening of great theater that includes dance, that includes song, and that includes an experience in historic townhouse with a production that really feels home cooked, developed by by artists, as you started, Andrew Cortez, by artists for artists. So every single person that walks in that door, Andrew, I'm going to be happy and grateful that they took time, time <laughs> out of their busy schedule to do this because theater is all about sharing it's not alive until as we all know until we're getting to share it and experience it with our guests so we're always grateful for anyone that steps into our i'll say collective home it's only 22 seats a performance wow so very intimate so you're right there. So, i mean it's a very special experience to really kind of be in this family's living room and of course, we want to find a, a future for the play where we can, you know, share it with more people. But for this moment in our process, the trade-off with the tiny audience, with the actual very intimate experience of actually walking into a home and seeing a play set in a home and having that direct connection with the actors, it's really, really special. And so for the, for now, this is where we're at. And, you know, with that, with this small house, I would recommend that people get their reservations in quickly. to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit better. And I know we're a little short on time, but I can't let you all leave without asking my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? 
Well, I have so many to respond to, but I do something that something that's very special for me is that when I was a young man, I think it may have been about 11 or 12, I was in London with my family and we saw the the original production of Amadeus at the National Theater. And it was Paul Schofield as Salieri. So the actor playing Mozart was this actor named Simon Callow, who I'd never heard of before. And I remember being totally blown away by his performance because I had seen the same actor, Simon Callow, and then Alan Akeborn played two days earlier, where he played a totally different character. In the Akeborn show, he played this sort of like roused about hippie boyfriend of one of the sisters, and he was just so funny. It's just like one of the greatest comic performances ever. And I was so blown away by this guy. I just loved him. And to see him then come and play Mozart two days later and incorporate all that incredible comic stuff, which as Mozart is an ama has amazing comic scenes, but then totally break your heart as Mozart goes into the decline, the tragedy of Mozart in the second half of, of Amadeus. Just knowing that that same actor could have the ability to do both things in the space of a week. Incredibly, incredibly exciting to witness. And that's always been a sort of a touchstone for me that got me very, very excited in the possibilities of a life in the theater. It's funny, uh, Simon Callow actually ended up being in the Amadeus movie. He plays the comic actor in The Magic Flute, who's pals with Mozart, because they didn't want to cast a Brit. They wanted to cast American actors. So it's kind of funny. So if you want to see the original Mozart in Amadeus, check out the guy playing Papagino in the Magic Flute in that. That's that is a wonderful memory. That wow! <laughs> Thank you so much, Tony. I the personal memory that came up, Andrew, as a performer in terms of something really personal, is when I was like a little babe doing a production, and I was dead. <laughs> I was dead and I was very young doing it, uh, playing Tony in West Side Story. And they say he's dead. And everyone in the theater then heard a little Czechoslovakian woman uh -huh. accent say, he's not dead. He's my grandson. And I had to not laugh while I'm dead. <laughs> and my my grandmother, Bubby, God bless her. She should rest in peace. Oliver Shalom, you know, four rows back had, had said something. And, and I guess that popped up because in my head, while it happened, I thought, this is great. That happened. That's a reality. And that's now, even at that young age, I thought, this is all okay. This is all theater. This is all part of the experience that we're all having right now. And I am not dead. I am make-believe. And that's kind of the power that we share as performers and also as audience. And theater audiences always have, I think, a little more responsibility than movie audiences because movie audiences are told by the director where to look where and, and they're given the frame, whereas theater audiences have the proscenium or round and they get to choose what camera and what lens they want to use to experience this show. And they really need to believe. And it also came up to me because came up for me because we are playing together in our little sandbox on 22nd street in a very intimate space 
where every crackle and sigh from the audience is a part of the experience that that we have and and performers that have worked at torn page know what i'm talking about including the creaking of the floors and maybe the residents that are living upstairs maybe making a pot of tea upstairs and a teacup breaks and it just becomes part of of the play and so that's that's for me theater is is a lot of fun and i think it's important because we make it important but the minute we tell ourselves it's important i think it's no longer important in a way and i think what makes it important is that we all we all focus so much on it to to, to take playing around so seriously and that's what in the end is fun because you know we're only here for a split second anyway so might as well have fun well put. And I love that memory. Oh. Yes, grandmas. We love a good grandma story. So thank you for that. Josefina, bringing us home. What is oh, your favorite theater memory? I, I have a similar. It's funny because when you were when you were about to tell that story, I was like, oh, sh that's something similar. Also grandparents. When I was when I was in our when I used when I was living in Argentina in my hometown, that is a very small city. I was doing theater since I was very young and I belonged to a company that you, so you would, before performing, you would do, you would do everything, lights, assist, assist, makeup, everything. So when I turn 17, I get to be officially a performer and you're my, you're in my first performance. Uh, I think one of the, the dialogues was, um, so what does your father do? And also out of nowhere in the audience, I listened. He plants tobacco. And I'm like, that's my grandfather. Okay. So I take it in. I look at, we were, it was only the two, only two performance. We look at ourselves. We don't know if we should laugh or not. And then we keep on going. And I remember that I, that's something I treasure from all from since I'm very young, my grandfather saying that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. This is I, I feel like we could go on a whole nother like journey about like when the audience responds, you know, and you just have to sit there and be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for those memories. Those were wonderful. As we wrap up, are there any other projects or productions that any of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? I'm just going to say that we have a show coming up in March at Torn Page. A lot of one of our major collaborators is Frank Hunchker from uh, the, the Martin E. Siegel Center for Theater Research at CUNY. And he produced the, the lay reading of the excerpt from uh, The Whole of Time that got us all together on this project. And he's often connecting us with people who come through the Martin E. Siegel Center. So there's a very powerful play called The Little Pony that will be playing here in March. And now information will be out about that pretty soon. So uh, look for a follow-up for The Little Pony at Torn Page in March. I was going to say, in, in the spirit of podcasts, Josefina and I are both working on a podcast together based off of Kurt Vonnegut's last work. The first three episodes have been released. And it's based off of his work called God Bless You, Dr. Kevorkian, which the concept is that Kurt Vonnegut is going to the afterlife with Dr. Kevorkian's help and talking to people. And Josefina in the podcast, actually, not in these first three episodes, but plays the voice of none other than 
Frida Kahlo. <laughs> so that's, that's out amazing. and that's, that's continuing. Yeah. And the, the play, the play that I was going to say, Jose and I are working on another Argentine play by Javier Dolte called Are You There? That is in the works as well. That's very exciting. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about the whole of time or about any of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? I think it's a great place to go is tornpage.org. You can check out, you can go deeper into production there. There's a, a page with a bios for all of us, including uh, Romina and Gene, the translator, uh, our great uh, lighting designer, uh, Jay Ryan and other folks. So that's you know, tornpage.org is a great place to get that information. And also you can always subscribe to Torn Page events at Eventbrite. Because what we do is we usually use the Eventbrite model. Um, everything that we do here is pay as you wish. So if you subscribe to us on Eventbrite, you not only get the theater things we do, but you have a very, very robust poetry reading series that's hosted by my wife, the poet and publisher, Leanne Brown. So we have, you know, we have poetry, we have theater. There's lots of events we do in this little space that we use as a place to share community. So yeah, just go to tornpage.org or uh, subscribe to us on Eventbrite. Well, wonderful. Well, Ben, Josefina, and Tony, mm -hmm. thank you all so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing this amazing work and the journey that it's taken to get here. So I appreciate everything you've shared today. Thank you all so much. Thank, thank you, you so Andrew. much. It's been great talking and to you. Yeah, Andrew, thank you for the time and for your tremendous generosity and your you, your heart really comes across in what you do, Andrew, and it doesn't come across in a, in a false way. And it goes from your heart to our hearts. So thank you so much. It's really kind to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope you and your wife get to experience the Argentinian theater one day. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. My guests today have been the performers Ben Becker and Josefina Scaro and the director Tony Torn, all who are part of Hoban Productions' presentation of The Whole of Time, which is playing December 28th through January 27th at Torn Page. Tickets and more information are available at tornpage.org. And we also have some other contact information for our guests and the show, which we're going to be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But right now, make sure you head over to tornpage.org. Get your tickets now for this great show. We will be in attendance and we'll keep you posted on when we'll be going so we can make it a stage whisper night out at the theater. But you're going to want to get your tickets now there's 22 seats per performance it is a very small and intimate setting but it's a fabulous show the show is the whole of time playing december 28th through january 27th so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper Whisper, whisper, whisper. <laughs> Thank you. If 
if you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.